0: hello, RSI. Uh, Welcome to Rock Sydney International Online Service. And if you have your Bible, why don't you open up with me to Genesis chapter 2. And if you've been part of our church, then you know that I like that when we read scriptures, that I like people to stand. So wherever you are, in your living room or in your bedroom right now, if it's possible, why don't you stand on your feet as we read the scripture together. Uh, We're going to read from Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 to verse 25. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 to verse 25. This is what the Bible says. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed, every beast of the field and every bird of the heaven, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave name to all livestock and to the birds of the heaven and to every beast of the field. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and I just pray that you help us to understand these words, Lord, this beautiful narrative creation, and help us to be able to understand what is your design for us, Lord, in order for us to thrive and flourish in our relationship. And Holy Spirit, I know there are many things that I'm going to say tonight that goes against the wave of our culture, God, but I pray that you help give us soft heart that are able to be shaped by your word, and speak to us, Lord, because we need to hear from you, and we ask this in the name of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You guys may be seated, wherever you are. All right, so we're starting a brand new series um, this week, and before, before I start, let me just make it clear that this is not your typical relationship series. What I mean is I have no intention giving you the 10 tips on how to become the perfect boyfriend or the perfect girlfriend. Why? Um, I have two reasons why, okay? First one is obvious. Number one reason is I am single, and all single ladies make some noise. Woo! I can feel the heaven vibrates. Okay, not just kidding. I don't feel anything. I doubt any of you guys make some noise in your house. But anyway, but the second reason, and this is uh, the more important reason, um, I don't know if you have done it before, but I took a 16 personality test online. It's free. And I found out that my personality is called INTJ, okay? okay. And if you do that test, they will tell you the strength and the weaknesses of your personality. And uh, when I read the weaknesses of this personality, I get offended, okay? But I'm going to show you anyway. Okay, this is what it says, okay? INTJ, okay? It says this. One of my weaknesses, I am clueless in romance, and I'm like, that cannot be right. I'm like the expert, the number one expert on romance. I know everything about romance. As if that's not insulting enough, it says this, okay? Needless to say, finding a compatible partner is the most significant challenge most INTJ will face in life. And I'm like, enough say. I hate this personality test because it's so true. <laughs> I, hate it. I, mean, I hate it. I mean, I just hate it. Right? So let's be clear on that. I am not here to lecture you on how to become a better boyfriend or girlfriend, but it's what I'm going to do in this series. In this series, I want to show you God's purpose and God's design for a relationship, because when you look at relationship, there's only one purpose that we can see in the Bible, and that is marriage. That's why I want to talk about marriage. Now, the moment I say marriage, I realize that um, for some of you, you're like, yo, bro, I'm still teenagers. Yo, bro, I'm still in my high school. Yo, bro, I just started uni. I'm not, I don't care about marriage. But here's the thing, though. If you look at the Bible and you study the Bible, everything that the Bible says about relationship is always written in the context of marriage. Always. So in, that means this. The Bible has no place for dating. Does that mean we can't date? Of course we can date. But there's a, there's a purpose to dating. Dating is not purposeless. So that's why I want to talk to you about marriage. Okay? And one of the questions that I got a lot as a pastor is this. Yes. when can I start dating? That is like, because I'm in youth ministry for many, many years. This question come again and again. When can I start dating? So many years ago when I started uh, becoming youth pastor, I said, you can start dating after you pass 20. So the moment you pass 20, you're free to date, okay? But then after a while I realized, nah, actually that's too young, okay? Especially for the guys. Because I found out that guys usually mature slower than the girls. So I increased the rate. Oh, no, no, no. 21 for guys and 24 girls. And that's not enough. 22 for guys and 24 girls. For well, the girls stay the same. But after many years, after many years, I come to the conclusion, it's 34 guys and 25 for girls. Okay? And some of you single, you hate me already. Like, right? you're about to turn it off. Don't worry. Today, I no longer goes by that rule. Okay? Because I believe at the end of the day, it's not about age. It is not about age. At the end of the day, it's not about age, but You have to understand that the goal of relationship is only one, marriage. So here's my answer, okay? To answer, when can I start dating? Here's my answer. You are ready to start dating when you know that marriage is the goal of pursuing a relationship. If you're not ready, then leave him or her alone and come back when you're ready. Amen, guys? I'm pretty sure silent right now. No one say amen, right? But that's the biblical definition of um, dating and marriage. You can go into dating when you know that you are heading toward marriage. I'm not saying every dating relationship needs to end in marriage, okay? I'm not saying that. But I, do, I am saying that when you date someone, that the goal and the purpose of that dating need to be marriage. Cool. So let me give you the outline of the series then. Okay, we're starting a brand new series today that we call Love to Remember. Okay, there's six parts to this series. And today, we're starting with gospel to self, okay? And I think this is the most crucial one, the most fundamental, also the most important one because it is the key to every healthy relationship, okay? If we get this wrong, every relationship will crumble. But then next week, we're going to talk about gospel to the unloved, okay? Basically, this is what happened. A lot of time, if you're not careful, we put too much hope on love and marriage, and when we do that, marriage and love will fail us. And what happened when that happened? Gospel to the Unloved. And the third Sunday, probably one of my favorite out of all the six series, we're going to talk about the gospel to husband. Love it. So we're going to talk about the responsibilities of men and the the roles of men uh, and how the struggle that men face in order to lift out God's design in relationship. The next one after that is the one that I am afraid the most. It is gospel to wife, okay? If you guys can pray for me, that would be great. Just pray that the woman will not crucify me after they listen to the sermon. Okay? This is very frightening. Let me tell you, the last time I did this, whew, Okay, you will find out why. Okay? and the fifth one, the fifth Sunday, we're going to talk about gospel and marriage. How basically the gospel gives us a brand new lens through which we view marriage. And last but not the least, and this is my absolute favorite, gospel to the single. Now, why this is my favorite? It's because I've seen this trend that a lot of them happen in church, that we focus so much, whenever we talk about relationship, we focus so much on marriage to the point that it is very easy for singles to feel like they're neglected. It is easy for singles to think that I'm second class, that I'm not good enough, that I'm not better until I am married, and that is not true. And that is not true. And that's what I want to talk about, that in fact, God has specific purpose for those of you who are single. In fact, Christianity itself is started by a single man. Jesus was never married. And the man who has the greatest influence outside of, outside of um, Jesus is also a single man. His name is Paul. So then, then we know that Christianity has a special place for the single. So single, you are not second class. Okay, And that's my passion. And so... So that's my goal for this series. And my hope is this, that at the end of this series, whether you are married, in a relationship, looking for a relationship, single for now, or single forever, whoever you are, that by the end of the relationship, that you will be one step closer to becoming like Christ. And that's my desire. That's my hope, that we, all of us, will be one step closer to becoming like Christ and that you'll be able to lift out God's purpose in your relationship, and that you will flourish. And that's my goal, okay? So let's start, okay? Let's start. And I want to start at the very, very beginning. And what I mean by very beginning is actually the very beginning, which is Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to talk about the original design of creation, the original design of relationship. So flip one page back and look with me to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to and God blessed them and God said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on earth okay that is a mouthful verse. okay that's a lot that we can take from this verse but i want to specify it to relationship okay here's what we know about relationship about all of us from the beginning that you and i we are created in the image of god so, and then, so when we talk about created in the image of God, we need to ask the question, what does it mean to be created in the image of God? Okay, there's four things. First, to be created in the image of God, it means this, we are created with intrinsic value. It means that every single one of us, inside of us, we have God-given value that is built in inside of us. So it's important for us to understand this because unless we understand that we have intrinsic value inside of us, we will look to other things, especially relationships, in order for us to feel valuable. And that's not going to work. So here's what I'm trying to say. Okay? Um, when I was young, when I was really young, I get praised a lot. I got praised a lot for my smooth baby face. Okay? I still have the baby face part, not, but not the smooth part. Okay? But when I was teenagers, a lot of auntie, a lot of auntie, auntie, Asian auntie come up to me, oh my gosh, Yoshi, you have such a smooth face, such a baby face. Okay? And um, that baby face still remained. In fact, if you do not know, let me tell you a secret. These glasses, they're fake. Okay? I only use these glasses to make me look older. And that's the only reason I wear glasses. I don't need it. And last. A few weeks ago when I went to Bangkok, this is very interesting, I went to Bangkok for pastor's training, okay, and so everyone, all the participants are most likely pastors and all the teachers are pastors, and not a single one of them believed that I'm a pastor. They thought I'm still in college, okay, even though I already wear glasses, apparently I still, still look very young, but I digress. So let's talk about the smooth part. When I was a teenager, I had this smooth face, pimpleless face. I do not have any pimple in the past when I was starting my teenage years. So I get praised a lot. Oh, you're so cute. You have smooth face. You have smooth skin. But then what happened? Puberty hit late, and I start having pimples. And do you know what I did? True story. I put Band-Aid on all my pimples. Why? Because I realized it is better for me to look naughty than for me to have pimples. Because at least if I put Band-Aid, the people will still praise me. All the auntie will still give me their approval, their acknowledgement, you know, and I want that. And here's what happened though. If I understand that I have intrinsic value inside of me, that means I don't need other people's affirmation to make me feel good about myself. Because I know I'm created in the image of God Himself. So when I understand this, I no longer seek to other things, to give me the affirmation that I want. So when I approach relationship, I think of a relationship as something that I can give rather than something that I need to receive from other people. So that's a game changer. And um, the second part of this is, is that's continuation. that It means this, that we can reflect God's glory to one another. So if we understand that we are created in the image of God, that we have intrinsic value inside of us, that means... The way we approach relationship with one another is this: we want to reflect who God is to one another. Single guys, okay, most guys. What do you do when you enter a room filled with single ladies? Okay, I heard, and I can I can I can testify to this theory. I heard that inside of a guy, every guy, there's a built-in hot meter. Okay, guys have this hot meter to be able to detect all the hot girls in the room. So what happens is when you enter a room, suddenly your, your sensor goes, Poop! there's a very hot girl at the corner of the room, Poop! and you look at that, Whoa! but that's, no, 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 too, too hot for you, not your level. And then your sensor, there's another girl, but not hot, on the other side of the room, but you can do better, okay. And you try to find, your sensor try to find the so, so hot girl, right, the one in the mirror that kind of fits you. And that's the way guys work okay, a lot of time, but um, I praise God for this because apparently my hot mirror was broken. So I cannot detect if there's any pretty girl, hot girl in the room unless someone tell me. I mean, that's good. I guess when God created me, he realized I'm going to be a pastor. And if my hot mirror works functionally, I'll be preaching like this. <laughs> right? now, that's not good, right? That's not good. So God uh, make, make sure my hot mirror is broken. But here's the thing about hot mirror, though. Sensor. It's not just a guy's thing. Girls also have their own barometer. It might be a hot thing. It might be a cute thing cute mirror, intelligent mirror, but every one of us has a kind of battle mirror by which we value other people. And that is not wrong, okay? That is not wrong. So do that, you know, appreciate God's wonderful creation through one another. Do that. But what we need to understand about Imago Dei created in God's image is this that it does not matter if that person does not look the way we want him to look. It does not matter what kind of past he had. It does not matter what kind of clothes he wear. It does not matter what kind of skin color he has. He or she deserves the respect and the honor because they are created in the image of God. So now when I encounter people, when I meet people, rather than asking the question, what can you give me? I can straight away honor them, respect them, because they are created in the image of God. As much as I, my value is not defined by what I do, other people's value is not defined externally. They are the reflection of God's glory as much as we are. So, think about it now. If this is what marks our relationship, that changes the game. So now when, you, when two people who understand this come into relationship with one another. Rather than trying to get affirmation, they seek to give affirmation to one another. Rather than asking, what can you give me, they seek to give honor to one another. Can you imagine that kind of relationship? Where everyone in a relationship compete to give more honor to one another, to respect more. Wow. What a beautiful relationship. And the third thing is this. Imago de this is. That you and I, we are created male or female. Okay, I know this goes against the grain of our culture, but I need to say this, okay? Male and female are created in the image of God. That means we know that from the very beginning, that male and female, they have equal value, equal, equal dignity. Both of them are created in the image of God. But notice this, God says this, he created what? Male and Female. So there's only two kinds of human: male or female. There's no such thing as male trapped in a female body, or female trapped in a male body. That does not exist. Only two kinds of cre- cre- creature, creature exists: male or female. And let me push it another further, another step further. When God created male and female, God created uh, give this wonderful command, which is this: um, to be fruitful to subdue the earth and have dominion. Okay, what does that mean? What does that mean? It can mean many things, but in the most basic meaning, it means this, go and have as much baby as possible. Now think about it. It means this, the original design of male and female is for them to have sex with one another and for them to reproduce the image of God on earth. That means this, it requires male and female to do so. With another word, homosexuality and transgender was never part of God's design. Never. It's God's design always about male and female come together, okay? And not only that, but also understand this, that male and female, they created different. So they have equal dignity, but they're different from one another. Now, the moment I say this, all the feminists try to stone me. I get it, you know, I, I, I feel you, feminists, and let me... Let me say this. The feminist has done so many great things for our world today, especially for the women. They increase the dignity of women and praise God for feminist movement. But what many feminists try to do today is they try to eradicate all the differences between male and female. And let me tell you, that's not biblical because the Bible differentiates male and female. There's a difference between them. And so one, um, fem- a lot of feminists say this, that the only difference between male and female is their physical makeup. That is not true. We will discover uh, soon together that there's more to the differences between male and female than simply a physical makeup. And the fourth one, and I think this is the hardest one and also the most important one. For us to be created in the image of God, it means we are created for a personal relationship with God. Okay, the moment I say that, you say, well, you're a pastor. Of course you say that. Everything about personal relationship with God. But let me prove it to you. This is not just a pastor thing, okay? The Bible clearly says this. In Genesis 1, verse 26, it says something really, really strange. It says this. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Hmm. This is very interesting. Do you know why? Because there's a change in pattern. When God created the universe, uh, Genesis 1 tells us, God, speak, and things happen. God spoke, and boom, lights happen. But when God created human, there's a new rhythm. And the rhythm says this, let us make man in our image. To which we ask the question, hold on a second, what do you mean by us? What is us? I thought it's just God. Yes. As Christians, we believe in this thing called Trinity. Okay, what is Trinity. Trinity means that God is three, and yet God is one. So we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But yet, even though they are three, they are one. Some of you are like, okay, this does not make any sense to me. I have headaches now, okay? If you want to know more about Trinity, what you can do is message my friend who also preached. His name is Adric. His email will show at the bottom of the screen. Email him. Ask him. He will love to talk to you about Trinity, Okay. But for our purposes today, it simply says this, that God is three, but he's also one. So this has changed the game, though. So when I think about creation, okay, what comes to my mind is this. When I think about creation in the past, what comes to my mind is a, you know, a God figure who has a long beard, you know, like Gandalf. If you watch, if you watch The Love of the King, like a wizard like Gandalf, like, imagine God like Gandalf, you know, with his stick, and then he created the wall. Whoa, let there be light, and boom, and light happened. But when I look at Genesis, I was wrong. The image of God that we have in Genesis is is the image of community. From all of eternity, God has been a community of persons, delighting, loving, and communing with one another. So there's not a time that God was alone. There was not a time that God was lonely. God is always a community. Think about it. Have you heard this saying before that God is love? You heard that before, right? Now, here's what I need you to think. It does not say God has love. It does not say God created love, but it says what? God is love. Here's the question. If God is not trying, if God is not three, how can love be something that God is? How can you love something when you just on your own? It does not make any sense. That's why we understand that God was never alone. That's why love and community was never something that invented. God invented. No. Love and community is part of who God is. God is always a communal God. Three and one. And because God is triune, that means this relationship is something that is intrinsic to all of us. We have a need for relationship. I love the way Timothy Keller put it. Timothy Keller put it this way: that Trinity, imagine this, is like God, the Father, God, the Son, and the God, the Holy Spirit. They're like in a perfect eternal dance with one another. So it's like a circle; they're holding hand with one another, and they, the way they dance is they harmonize with one another. It's filled with perfect harmony, perfect dance where they love, honor, and delighting one another. So just imagine that: like they they dance together, and all of them work in the same harmony, no misbeat, no off tune at all, perfect. Harmony, that is trinity. Here's why I'm telling you all of this, okay? There's a reason why I'm telling you of this. Here's why. Because if God is a triune God, that means for us to be created in the image of God means that we are created for personal relationship. We cannot thrive without it because we were made in the image of God who is a community, are you with me so far? That means for us to be fully human, we must have personal relationship with God, because we are created in the image of God. We are created to join God's stance. See, when we talk about personal relationship with God, I think for Christians, what comes to mind is this: I go to church, I read my Bible, I pray, I give offerings and I do good. And eventually, or every now and then, I will feel the vague presence of God. That's what we think about relationship with God. But the way Genesis put relationship with God is so much more than that. Relationship with God does not simply come mean coming to church, but relationship with God is this. In the, to be in a relationship where you share God's love, God's affection, God's honor, God's delight in, within the Trinity. You become part of the dance. So now you enter the dance. That means this, to have personal relationship with God is to experience His love and delight for you. It is to be loved by God and to love God. It is to be praised by God and to praise God. It is to be known by God and to know God. It is to be enjoyed by God and to enjoy God. That is what it means to have personal relationship with God and that's what you and I are invited to, a perfect dance of relationship. That's what you and I are designed for, community, personal relationship with God, okay? You with me so far? Okay, we just passed the hardest section, okay? From this one forward, it's going to be more application and more relatable. So now that we understand God's original design, I want us to to take a look at our complementary role, okay? So if you have your Bible, flip over back to Genesis chapter 2, okay? Just one page ahead, the first that we read earlier. Here's what we need to understand about Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 is not continuation of Genesis chapter 1. So it's not something that happened after Genesis chapter 1, no, no. Genesis chapter 2 is actually taking a closer look at God's creation of humankind. So Genesis chapter 2 actually zoom in, get a close-up on what happened on the sixth day of creation. So it's not a continuation of Genesis chapter 1. No, no. In Genesis chapter 1, it tells the story, the grand story of creation. Then Genesis chapter 2, take a closer look at the sixth day of creation, of where God created you and me, okay? We'll pick it up in verse 18. Genesis 2, verse 18. It says this, okay? And all the men... If you agree with me at the end of the first, say amen, okay? Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Amen, guys? It is not good for man to be alone. Amen. But here's something interesting that happened in this story, though. Do you realize where Adam is when God say, it is not good for man to be alone? Adam is in the Garden of Eden. Adam is in a perfect environment. Think about the Garden of Eden, okay? Think about the yummiest, the most delicious food that you ever ate in your life. Adam had a better food. Okay? Think about the greatest, the grandest view that you see in your life. Adam had a better view. So Adam lived in a perfect environment and he's the king. He's been given, given dominion. He's, he's, he reigned over the Garden of Eden. And now Despite all of that, God says this, it is not good for man to be alone. And this is the the first not good in the Bible. And not only that, okay, not only that, and we'll see that this not good is not as if God made a mistake when God created Adam. This not good is by God's design. Let me put it this way. God intentionally created Adam with a deep need that even the perfect garden of Eden cannot satisfy. Let me take it one step further, okay? God created Adam with a deep need that even a perfect relationship with God cannot satisfy. Okay? At this moment, some would be like, heretic, turn off the YouTube, trust on him. No, no, no. Let me explain. Let me prove my case, okay? I, I'm not making a new doctrine here. Here's what happened God Himself was said it is not good for Adam to be alone. And Adam already had personal relationship with God. Do you know why? Let me tell you why. Because God is a communal God. God is an us God. How can we as a human grow in the image of God or reflect the full image of God on our own if God is an us God? So that's why from the very beginning, you'll find this rhythm that you and I not only created to have personal relationship with God, but you and I created to have personal relationship with one another. We need people around us. And that's why I've been saying this again and again and again and again. Christianity is not about me and God. It's about us. You and I need one another to grow in the image of God and reflect the image of God. And here's what I want to push you a bit here, if I may. You know, in the midst of COVID-19 like this, you know, it's very easy for us to self-isolate, self-distance, and that is good. Okay, I'm not telling you to be reckless, but I do want to tell you this, that you cannot thrive that way. That means, you cannot, that means this, yes, self-isolate, but find a way to continue to communicate with people around you. Try to find a way, a creative way to continue to be able to have relationships around you. Why, whether it might be Zoom, Skype, whatever. It is. Be creative as you can. Because we desperately want, need one another. For introverts like me, you know, self-isolation is easy peasy, right? This is like heaven for us. Like, but let me tell you, there's only so much that Netflix can do for me. It won't be long before my soul gets restless. And I need community. Why? Because that's the way God designed us. We need one another. But let me be more specific though, okay? You and I not only need one another, but we need someone who is different from us. God created them male and female. They're different. So with another word, we cannot just have someone who is exactly like us, but we need someone who is very different from us. And the word for this is this, complement. We need someone to complement us. So it's like this. It's like two pieces of puzzle that very different from one another, but they complement one another. Okay? I, don't, I don't like to use the word, um, um, you complete me. Okay? I know it sounds okay, sounds good, but I like, I like it better. You complement me, okay? that rather than you complete me. So here's the rhythm of creation. We desperately need one another. And we need someone who is different from us to complement us. Okay, So let me give you an example. Okay? As awesome, as wonderful, as capable Adam is, God still say, it is not good for Adam to be alone. I'm going to create a helper, fit, complement for him. I don't know how it looks like in your household, but uh, in my household, my dad is a very capable man. Okay, let me put that on the record. My dad is a very capable man. He's the leader of our family. We, re- we respect him. We honor him. But again and again, this scenario happened. I hope you can relate with me. So one day, um, my parents, they decided to go for a drive. And they want to go somewhere where they do not, haven't been before. So they put their dress on GPS, and GPS started to lead them toward that direction. But every now and then, after they drive for a while, my capable dad say, huh, I think I'm familiar with this area. I know where to go. So, he decided to ignore GPS. So, when GPS say, turn left, my dad turn right or go straight. And then my mom, a great helper to him will say, honey, dad, pop, I think GPS said to turn left. And my dad say in his wisdom, GPS is wrong. I know this area, trust me. Okay. Then a few minutes later, again, the GPS will say, turn left or turn right. And my dad will ignore the direction from GPS. And again, my mom being a great helper say, I think we should turn right. And my dad say, nope, GPS wrong. Trust me, I know where we're going. And 10 minutes later, they lost, okay? I'm pretty sure all of us can relate with that story, right? The point of the story is this, man needs help. So here's what happened in the story. So then God realized that Adam needed help, so then God brought animals to Adam for Adam to name the animals. Okay? This is crucial. Why does God leave it for Adam, for Adam to name the animal? Why does not God name the animal himself? Remember why? Because God has given dominion over earth to Adam. That means this, when you name something, it means you have authority over that thing. You with me on that? When you name something, that means you have authority over that very thing. Like when I was born, I don't get to name myself. I don't come out of my mother's womb and say, hey, mommy, my name is Yosi, with C, okay? That's my name, okay? Make sure you get it right. No, I don't get to name myself. When I was born, my dad and mama mom look, look at this cute baby and say, you shall be called Yosia." My parents name me which means they have authority over me, okay? And that's the way it works. So now when, Adam, when God bring all the animals, God says, you know, Adam, you have authority over them, name them. I mean, Imagine that job description. So God look at lion, lion. God look at cockroaches, cockroaches. I mean, everything. So God, so Adam named every single animal there is. And this is good news for us though. Genesis 2, 20. After all the animals been brought to Adam, God says this, but there was not found a helper fit for Adam. Wow, guys, aren't you great, that first season the Bible? Imagine if it said, and God found a great helper among the animals. That is not good news. That is not good news. But then, so what God did is, next, is beautiful. So God told Adam, Adam, I know you must be tired after naming all the animals. Why don't you take a nap, okay? And Adam like, nah, God, I can do this. I can handle this. And God knocked Adam out, Bleh! and Adam fell asleep. And when Adam was knocked out, God took a rip out of Adam and then God created a woman. And when Adam woke up, okay, when Adam woke up, he looked up and he said, oh, what happened? Oh, my ribs. That's what happened. And finally, Adam, what, the next thing that Adam did is this. Adam named woman. Who get to name woman? Not God. Adam. Here's the good news for you guys, okay? I know in your relationship a lot of time, you know, Dude, I have. I mean, I heard this again and again, even with those who are married for many years. It goes like this, babe, husband, why do you still not understand me after all these years? And guys, let me tell you the perfect answer. Just say this, babe. Let me tell you why. Because when God created you, I was knocked out. Okay, that's your answer. Okay, next time you have argument, you say I was knocked out. That's why I don't understand you. But here's the thing, though. The moment Adam saw Eve. You know what happened Adam said, Adam broke into poetry. He became Shakespeare. He said, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. That's what love does to you, man. Love turns you into Shakespeare. But then what he says next is beautiful. Genesis 2.23. Then the man said, this at last bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of men. Now, okay. I know what I'm going to say next is controversial, but hear me loud and clear, though. Because Adam get to name woman, it means this, that Adam has listen, you are created to have authority over your wife. <laughs> okay, again, all the feminists ready to turn me off right now, like, heresy, what is this? I know what you think, all right? I know what you think, like, seriously? This young pastor, what? age does he come from? Does he come from like stone age? Man, this is modern movement, okay? I know, I know, I know, I know. But I can't say otherwise because I believe what that's, that's what the Bible teaches as we will explore further in um, the fourth series. So give me, give me some space. I will explain it further in the fourth series. If you still don't believe me, if you just don't like what I say, feel free to do whatever you want, okay? But here I just want to say this. In the rhythm that God created is this, that man you are created to have authority over your wife, but here's what you need to understand: Wife, wife, listen to me. Woman, listen to me. It does not mean that you're less than your husband. It cannot mean that, because both male and female are created in the image of God. Both of them have equal value, but different role. In fact, the woman is called what? Helper. Now, I love the word helper. Okay, please understand when, when the Bible used the word helper, he does, the Bible does not mean domesticated helper like we have in other Asian countries. When the Bible used the word helper, the word helper signifies someone who is more able than you. For example, um, I train Edric and Ellis how to preach. So basically, I every time before they preach, I help them with their sermon. And what do I do when I help them with the sermon? I help them with their sermon because I know more about the Bible and I know more about the preaching, about preaching. You with me on that? But what I do when I help them, I do not replace them, but I empower them and enable them to do what they need to do. So when the Bible said that, wife, woman, you are helper to your husband, it means that woman, that you have something yet that your husband do not have. That in fact... You might be even more superior in some, in some way than your husband. But then use what you have to empower and to enable your husband. That's the freedom that God created for the man to have authority and for the woman to empower and to enable the man to use that authority. So, but his, let me speak to the man though, okay? Because I don't want this verse to be abused. Men. man. Yes, you have authority. Man, future husband, husband, yes, you are designed to be the leader of the family. But listen to this, verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That means, man, relationship takes hard work. Relationship involves both party to make sacrifice. Yes. But listen to me, man. It is you who bear the weight of the most responsibility in a relationship. It is you who got demand to leave your parents, to leave your father's house, and hold fast to your wife. It is man that is required to make more sacrifice to make relationship work. So that's why. And then when this rhythm happened, when man sacrificially led his wife, and and when the wife uh, willingly submit to the husband leadership, verse 25 happened. I love verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So in the relationship that God has designed, there's joy, there's delight, there's trust, where you can be naked. That means you can be fully known And that you're not ashamed. That means you can be fully known and fully loved at the same time. And that is God's design for relationship. And that's the complementary role between man and woman. You with me so far? But then, the third thing that happened is this, the broken design. Right after this right after God gave us this beautiful blueprint of how relationship work, the dance between male and female, husband and wife, right after that, the very next moment, the very next moment, the design of God was broken. So God designed for man to lead in a sacrificial way. God designed for man to love his wife sacrificially. And God designed for the wife to submit willingly to the husband leadership. And when there's this then, there's naked and not ashamed. But then the very next chapter, Genesis chapter 3, what happened is this. The design was corrupted. Why? Because a serpent come. And when a serpent come, the serpent is the image of the devil. The devil is brilliant. Do you know what the devil did? The devil reversed the order. So rather than speaking to Adam, do you know who the devil tried to tempt? Eve. So now the devil speaks to Eve and tries to make Eve eat the forbidden fruit. So he's like, Eve, Eve, eat the fruit, fruit. And when Eve saw the fruit, oh, this looks beautiful, this looks delicious. So, and Eve grabbed the fruit, and here's what happened. So now Eve. The responsibility of a leader, Eve take a lead, and then Eve share it with her husband. If Adam know what his role is, at this point Adam says, to know, no, no, baby, we're not supposed to do this. No, baby. Uh, we're supposed to love God with all of our heart. We're supposed to obey him. But you know what Adam did? Adam followed Eve's lead. So the serpent twisted the order. The serpent got to Eve first, and then Eve take the lead. And then Adam, rather than doing his role, Adam just passively followed. And at that moment, sin entered into creation. God's beautiful, grandiose design for relationship was corrupted. So instead of naked and unashamed, what happened is this. Now we are naked and we are ashamed. So now, because of that, because of our sin, now rather than approaching relationship and understand that relationship is about giving life to one another, rather than doing that, now when we approach relationship because we are naked and we feel ashamed, we want something to cover our shame. We want other people's affirmation. We want other people's attention. We want people to do things for us to cover our shame. And that is not the way relationship works. But that's what happened because of sin. Sin destroys our relationship with God, so now we no longer have the joy and the delight of the Trinity. But sin also makes us demand from one another. So rather than approach relationship and say, what can I do to give life to you, we we begin to suck life out of one another. And here's why relationships become really hard. All of us struggle relationally. All of us experience struggle in a relationship. Because all of us are sinners with exception. We fail to submit to ourselves to the system. And that is why relationship is hard and fail with brokenness. That's why we struggle relationally. Because we try to cover our shame. We know we're naked and we're shameful about it. But I love what happened next. So God knew. God knew Adam and Eve broke the system, broke God's good design. And rather than leaving Adam and Eve alone, you know what God did? God entered into the story. God approached Adam and Eve. God seek Adam and Eve. And here's what's beautiful though. Do you know whom God holds accountable for the sin of Adam and Eve? Logically, it should be Eve right? Because Eve was the one who tempted, Eve was the one who ate first, and Eve was the one who gave the fruit to Adam. But when God came to Adam and Eve, you know who God hold accountable? It's not Eve. It's Adam. He said, Adam, where are you? What have you done? Why? Because in the eyes of God, it is the role and responsibility of man to lead his family. So that's why God holds Adam, hold Adam accountable. And you know what Adam did? Rather than say, yes, God, I'm accountable, I'm wrong, I sinned against you, this is my fault. You know what Adam did? Adam said, it's not me, God, it's the woman you gave me. It's her fault. And then Eve said, no, oh, no, it's the serpent. right?" So now from that moment, the blame game began we begin to blame one another for whatever it is. It's not my fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. So rather than owning the responsibility, especially men, listen to me, man, rather than owning responsibility, you try to blame other people for the responsibility. And now said, that's not the way it works. And that's why relationships right now are broken. We blame one another. Rather than submitting to husband leadership, wife try to usurp the husband's authority. Rather than loving the wife sacrificially, husband You abuse your authority today. That's what happened in a sinful world. But praise God, that is not the end of the story. God promised us a picture of future restoration. In verse 15, Genesis 3, verse 15, you know this, one of the most popular verse in Genesis. God made a promise. He says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What happened here? So God promised this. Even though the design was broken, there will come a time where, God, where Eve's offspring, and that singular offspring, where Eve's singular offspring will come. And when he comes, he will crush the serpent's head. And there will be a battle. The battle will, uh, the, the serpent will bite the heel, and, but yet the offspring will crush the serpent's head. There will be a battle. And that is the picture of what Jesus came to do for us. So Jesus is that offspring that come on our behalf. So Jesus was the one who crossed the serpent's head. And here's the, what's beautiful about Jesus, though. Here's what I, what I love about Jesus. See, when the first Adam failed to protect his wife, the second Adam, the seed of the woman, Jesus, gave his life for his bride. Where Adam blamed his wife, Jesus, the second Adam, took the blame for his pride. Jesus came to earth. He was stripped naked. Why? For the sake of his pride. And here's what's beautiful though. So when you understand that Jesus was naked for you, now you can be naked and non-ashamed in front of God, in front of one another. Why? Because now everything changes. Now Jesus has come to restore your relationship with God. So now when, when you, the moment you trust in Jesus, what happens is this. The, the, this. the connection that was cut because of sin between you and God was restored. So now you join the dance of Trinity again. Now you are part of God's design for the Trinity. You are involved in the Trinity. You begin to join the dance. So now you experience God's love, God's joy, God's delight, God's relationship. another. that's what belongs to you. So you and I are filled with God's delight. And we, and when we understand that, when we understand that, we already have everything we need—all the affirmation, all the attention, all the love, all the honor, and all the delight that we need—we already have it in the dance of Trinity. If we understand that, then now we can approach relationship with one another in a healthy way. See, this is what Jesus does: Jesus restore your image. Jesus restore your true self. That's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus give you his perfect righteousness so that now you can be naked and unashamed. You can be fully known and fully loved. So when we come into relationship with one another, rather than asking the question, what can you give me? We can simply give our life to give life to one another. That's how relationship works. We do not define our word in our role but we define our word in the fact that we are created in the image of God and we are loved by Him. That's who we are. That's our true self. We are loved by God. Let me close with this, okay? Quick word to the singles and I'm done. I know what you're thinking right now, singles. That means my life is incomplete until I get married, okay? No, no. Let me tell you, that is not what it means. For the detail, you have to wait until the episode 6th six, six sermon, okay? But it's not you know, what you need to understand. In Christ, in Christ, singleness is pictured as something better than marriage. See, in marriage, you get to experience the depth of Christ's love, in, but in singleness, you get to experience the breadth of Christ's love. Because in, in singleness, now you can enjoy God's love, God's image through one another more widely. So now your engagement with community is more deep than if you're married. And that's the beauty of singleness. So whether you're single, whether you're married, we need to understand this, that ultimately your marriage your relationship is not about relationship and marriage in this world. Ultimately, it's about the wedding that is yet to come the wedding supper of the Lamb. And here's our confidence. The first Adam failed in his marriage, but the second Adam, Christ, he will never ever fail his bride. And that's what we're looking for, the wedding supper of the Lamb. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And I just pray, the Lord, that you help us to be able to lift out this word, apply it to our heart, apply it to our life. I know there's many things that I say that it's hard to receive, especially it goes against the wave of our culture, but help us to be able to trust you and to obey your system and your design more than we trust ourselves or our culture. Help us to be a gospel people, people who trust you and delight in you above all. God, we cannot do this on our own. We desperately need you. So Holy Spirit, we ask for your help. And we know that we have received the help because you have sent your only son to die for us and to enable us to lift out whatever it is that you commanded us to do. do. And we ask this in the name of your beloved son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.